Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 294. Arbitrary number, not really sure, but that's my guesstimate. It's my hypothesis. That's, that's not accurate at all. But It we'll is a it. great one today. I mean, chock full, slammed to the gills with amazing content here on Marty Smith's America. We start with ESPN NFL reporter Jeff Darlington. And the reason that I wanted to have Jeff on today is because one day ago, he had the opportunity to sit down with Trevor Lawrence from the Jacksonville Jaguars, the number one pick in the NFL draft. And I didn't realize this, but Jeff told me it's the first sit-down interview Trevor's done since I was with him at his home in Clemson the night of the NFL draft. Jeff is so good at building relationships. He's a lot, his career is a lot like mine. Builds relationships with the people he covers and that offers him the opportunity to ask questions of these folks and get great insight. He is brilliant at that. And here in just a few moments, you'll hear Jeff's perspective, not only on that interview with Trevor and who Trevor is as a person and who Trevor is expected to become as a player and what that looks like in Jacksonville. But also, y'all are going to hear a couple of interviews from the Marty and McGee talking season extravaganza. I don't want this to sound braggadocious. The interviews are really good. They're very insightful. They're very personable. They're funny. They're serious. They're emotional at times. With all of these guys, and above all, they're educational. You learn what makes these guys tick. You learn little nuances about who they are. You learn why they are who they are. And that's a great blessing for McGee and me to get to go and spend this entire week diving into that aspect of these guys where the beat reporters, their job is to spend time dialing in and diving in and nailing down these intricate details about the teams that they cover. That's not what we're there doing. Ours is a much broader scope view of so many things. Yes, we ask about the teams. Yes, we ask about triumph and failure. Yes, we ask about expectation. We ask about the emotion of spending an entire season in a global pandemic and having your kids tested three days a week and not knowing whether or not they were going to make it to the field until Friday night when you go to bed and praying when you wake up Saturday morning, you're going to have entire position groups. And it's very fun and extremely fulfilling. So today, Travis has pulled from the East show, Kirby Smart, head football coach at the University of Georgia, which ironically is where I will be tomorrow interviewing JT Daniels, the quarterback, for a feature for the SEC Network and game day. And he's also pulled Dan Mullen, the head football coach at the University of Florida. So you'll hear our conversations from Marty and McGee talking season with Kirby and with Coach Mullen. And the, and the difference is with these, we are the, we get the luxury of airing the full where TV has to chop these down for time. So yep. if, you, if you've already watched the TV show and you think I've, you've already heard it, you, you haven't because this is the unedited version of Very those good. interviews. I love that. That's what this, why we have this platform for that exact reason right there. And quite frankly, 
as we get on into the season after week one, when the, the piece I did, I'm doing with JT Daniels airs, uh, we may run that thing in full. We'll see. It is always wonderful here on Marty Smith's America when we get to welcome legends to the house. And that is what we have today. Our guest on episode 100 and something is my brother, Jeff Darlington. <laughs> Wait, which, who you got on? <laughs> the great Jeff Darlington. <laughs> Who's next? Because <laughs> this must not be, uh, this must be the opening act then. <laughs> Absolute legend. Uh, yeah, man. For those of you who might not have seen it, Jeff had the first sit-down interview with Trevor Lawrence as a professional quarterback this week. And I just wanted to drag him off the airplane. He just got home, but he's kind enough to give us a couple minutes because I love Trevor Lawrence, uh, covered him extensively as a collegian, and would love to just, just break down what you learned in this interview and what people who see it or might not see it will learn from it. Yeah, I, I get it now, Marty. It's like I feel like you passed the torch from me when we talked the other day about Trevor, like uh, like like handing him over to me. And uh, and I get it. You know, uh, everything that I had heard, everything you told me when he walks in the room, the way I explained it to Amy Palsik, who's the PR person for the Jaguars afterward, was was, yeah, tremendous. And I, and I told her that and Urban Meyer, too, was there. And I said the same thing. Um, there are certain people who walk into a room and are refreshing in their persona, the way they speak, how kind they are, how polite. But in that same sense, they have this sort of big aura about them that you feel like you still have to respect. So while that person's being friendly to you, 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 you're, you still feel the need to be like, you still deserve my respect and professionalism here because you just feel that. And, uh, and Trevor, I'm telling you, man, like he's got that, like you feel his presence when he walks in the room. You absolutely do. And he's so wise beyond his years. Yeah. Not only as a player, I mean, he's a extremely physically gifted player. Many people will tell you based on his, his path that he's a generational player, you know, obviously we'll wait to see what happens right. at, at, at the top level. I have extremely high expectations as I'm sure you do too. And certainly everyone in Jacksonville, that's why he's the, the number one pick, but as a human being, he has a kindness and he has a perspective and is not beholden to all the BS Mm -hmm. outside all the all the peripheral noise that so many young people are immersed within 100% right and 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 you feel it to your point yep so what what did you ask him that that what answer surprised you or stood out the most well the the i thought the most uh when you walk away from an interview and you're like just in your head like damn that was unexpected and really cool uh, it wasn't necessarily even about him as much as it was about his relationship with Peyton Manning and uh, and how that's sort of been fostered and developed over the last year. And he said that he's spoken to Peyton a lot this summer and that they have even gone over um, his day to day schedule together where Peyton and him have compared notes, uh, daily notes. Trevor said, OK, so you do this on Monday. What do you do on Tuesday? What do you do on Wednesday? What do you do on Thursday? And 
I thought that was interesting and actually kind of revealing in the sense that like, while we talk about this, this persona, and I know he got a lot too much attention on him for what was actually a very good sports illustrated article that discussed how, you know, football isn't everything. And people ran with that and made it out that he doesn't care. Like this dude very clearly cares. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, nuanced that requires nuance to understand the mentality but also the pursuit of greatness within football and i thought that his discussions that he's had with peyton illustrated that perfectly and he's got that little tick in his brain and amy said this too after we were talking about it like he remembers uh what he's supposed to be doing when as he tries to get ready for the nfl she said and i hope she's okay with me sharing this but she had said like about his his schedule even during the week like she said, okay, you got to do this. And he said, well, wait, I thought you said that was on Wednesdays very politely, wow. but I thought you said that was Wednesdays. And she said, well, the game is Monday this week. So it's forward a day. And he's like, Oh, got, got it. But like, he's, he's already that particular um, while also being incredibly the, the vibe that you get around him is that he's this laid back, you know, cool energy, but there's something in there that also is, is what makes him different. I think it's really cool for him that, that Peyton has taken that mentorship because anybody that knows anything about Trevor knows that Peyton's his hero. Peyton's who he modeled every single aspect of his game around. Is that right? Where's number 16. Peyton was number 16 at the university of Tennessee before he wore 18 in the, at at the pro level. But I admire Trevor so much. Uh, and have, uh, you know, it's, it's, th- th- there's so much that comes with being the anointed one. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's been since he was in eighth grade in Cartersville, Georgia. This is the guy that's going to be, he's going to go to Power Five powerhouse. He's going to win national championships. He's going to win the Heisman. He's going to be the number one pick. He's going to win Super Bowls. Like that's been the narrative mm-hmm. on him since he was 11 years old, 12 years old. And that's so much to carry. And I remember asking him at the draft, Jeff, I had this crazy, crazy moment. You know, they're, they're, they're going to come out to us after he gets picked. And I'm having this. You've done this a million times. There is this back and forth in your own mind. Okay, you get two questions. Mm-hmm. Obvious one is, what is this moment? Like? How does it feel? Yeah, yeah. Number two is the important one. That's the one that leaves the mark. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is it what should the people of Jacksonville, Florida expect? Or what are the people of Jacksonville, Florida getting with you? And I mean, all the way up until the question came off my tongue, <laughs> I debated it. And I thought, you know what? Hell no. Yep. This is what I want to know. What is the weight of being the anointed? Yep. And that when he said, question. it's really heavy at times. I just thought, okay, wow, that is like, and and think about the self confidence it takes to say that that's on right. that stage. He's just different, dude. He's different. I I, th- I think that's that's true. He, and and um, someone going into the interview, not you, uh, had told me that he has already mastered the art of saying nothing, which a lot of athletes do. But I actually disagree with that. I don't. I didn't find that in his responses to what you just said about the weight. I thought he was very honest with me. Like he's, you know, he's Trevor Lawrence. It's not that interesting. He doesn't, 
his story is not that interesting, which is a really mean, insulting thing to say. <laughs> but it's but you know what I mean from a from we're always looking for some. It's not salacious, bro. It's not salacious, and as a result, it's like well, that means his answers are boring. But actually, like he says a lot. He yeah. he's thoughtful and um and uh and to your point about that the weight being the anointed one. Uh, someone had shared a story with me uh, from, from uh, in Jacksonville that when he, the day he got drafted, so he talks to you, he gets on his plane, he get, he arrives in Jacksonville, and when he got into the stadium, which is where they have the offices and and, and the uh, all the people who work, they work in the stadium operations, whatever. He spent the first several hours when he got there, walking room to room, having individual conversations with each person in the organization, uh, and and the person who told me this said described it as feeling presidential uh, it, that that he had this grasp of exactly who he was why he was there and and what he is expected to do which can be mistaken for cockiness but with him it, that air is not there it does, you don't feel the cockiness you just feel the confidence of someone who understands exactly what he is there to do what is so interesting, too, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back just a couple years. So as a freshman, he leads Clemson to the national title. Okay, they beat Bama out in Santa Clara. I think it was 44 to 16, if I remember right. Comes back the next year and, like, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I mean, he's just he, – he, his accuracy's off. His, his kind of uh, confidence did not look – quite right and he later admitted i was kind of reading my own press a little bit like really as we say in the country i'll smell my own piss a little bit <laughs> and and i thought okay this is a 19 year old kid who is self-aware enough to go okay stop it don't mm -hmm. worry about what anybody says good or bad yep keep the main thing the main thing process mm -hmm. over outcome and when you're 19 and you realize that, I mean, I, maybe I was 40 when I got there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> still, I'm still working on it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just remarkable. It, it, well, it's interesting too, because it's not as if other NFL quarterbacks don't do a lot of these things. Uh, you know, when you become one of 32, you're, you're on that level for a reason. It, like I, I honestly, the demeanor that he possesses when you talk about that humble attitude and but sort of that confidence that he also comes with that you feel i know this sounds like hyperbole but there's only one person that i've honestly felt that with right it's, it's tom brady yeah i mean when he walks in the room you it's he is so kind and so humble but you're still like, and maybe we create some of it in our own heads a little bit, but I'm not fully convinced of that, man. I think there's just something about the, the work they put into it, but the mentality that they keep that sort of you feed off of and feel. So there's not a whole lot of people who know Tom Brady as well as you do that are certainly mainstream media members. Why has he done this? Like what? Like what is it? That, <laughs> what what is it that made him him? I, I you know I, it's funny because I I think that it is a combination of so many things and it and that's what he would say but it's true and it's it's 
it's that he had to work so far hard for what he got, but also ended up with, you know, as much as there is friction between he and Bill Belichick at this point, there still is deserved credit for the way in which he was groomed and brought up. Like he understands the culture of winning better than anybody and has now been able to take what he learned, package it into like being this incredible leader in his own natural born leader in his own way and, and, and bring that and deliver it to a new organization, for instance. So, I mean, I think we see different chapters of Tom over his career. This one I think is a lot of people's favorite for that very reason that he has mastered the ability to not only understand the game so well, but to be able to actually deliver it to these younger people and be like, this is how you win and, and have them accept it. It's, I mean, it's a, we're, we're living history in that, in that regard with him. Where do you believe the Buccaneers trophy ranks in his substantial list? I think it's high, high. I think it is high. It's not the highest, but it honestly might be second. What's the highest? The first. First. (laughs) I I mean, only because he might disagree with that because his thing is if one of the things that he realized, and I talk about this when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, one of the things that that Tom realized, uh, you can really split his career into three chapters. And he might actually say that the second chapter, getting those Super Bowls, was, was the most significant because it wasn't until he had a stretch where he didn't get one, when Eli beat him, and that he realized how hard it was. And it's one of those things that Patrick will probably go through as a result of this past year. Like, he had everything just going, going, going. And then you hit that roadblock and you start to be like, damn, maybe it was hard to get that to that Super Bowl and win it. And, uh, and, and Tom, when he got to that point and then continued to win, that probably was among the most rewarding chapters. So maybe it's not the first, maybe it's, maybe it's, so what would that have been? The Seahawks one. And maybe it might've been before that. And then but the Bucks would be second from the standpoint that, I mean, that's the one that I hate making it about Belichick, but that's the one, man. Right? Yeah, man. It's validation I mean, for Tom in that in that constant. We're on a first name basis. It's validation yeah, yeah. for Tom. <laughs> Tommy. That, if, it's you, you know really want, that, you gotta call him Tommy if you really Tom, want. To okay, feel yeah, like okay. Your, I haven't yeah. gotten to that level yet. <laughs> uh, there's always that debate when it comes to coach, quarterback, or in, in my. In my NASCAR days, like is it is it driver or is it car and team? Yeah, 100%, that kind of that kind of debate, right? And that really validated Brady winning it with a complete other organization and couldn't have a different head. I mean, like BA and Belichick are that's right. I mean, like complete polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and I think that people and here's the thing: I don't. If, if people could have just acknowledged that it was both Belichick and Brady, yep. but they couldn't. And as, as a result, a lot of people said, well, quarterback system, that's a system deal. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So that's why I think for him internally, it's different. You know, it's for him. It's like you, you people, I know you people thought it was Belichick. You know, you thought I was a system guy. And uh, I mean, he's the, he's, he's the greatest leader, man. He's it's, it's different for sure. All right, I'm going. I'm going way off script here. If you don't want to deal with, just tell me. Who has a bigger chip? 
Brady or Rodgers? <sighs> they both have a stick in massive. their backside. Massive. Massive, dude. Um, that's such a good question. Because they both went through it in college. They went through it before college. Like They, they both sat on draft day, certainly. Uh, Aaron uh, went 24. Tom went 199. But, I know, but it was so still was, relative. But, I mean, Aaron sat a lot longer than he expected to, and it still sticks in his crawl. Dude, Aaron lets his chip. I mean, I understand people say that Tom lets his chip fester, and he does, um, you know, to the degree that Michael Jordan – makes things personal that should not be personal. Aaron takes things so far. Like when they got rid of Jeff Tedford at Cal, he stopped even communicating with anybody at Cal. And like, did he really? I didn't know that story. Like, like wouldn't even like, (laughs) there was a while there where he said his school was Wisconsin. If you go back and look, I don't know if people even realize that he wasn't even talking about Cal. He was rooting for Wisconsin in the NCAA, in the, the tournament. Like it was his school. And that was because of the Tedford stuff. So he holds on to things in a totally different way. Tom, I think, has – and he, maybe he's changing a little bit too with this more zen approach that very recently he's had. You know, I, Tom definitely – they both have it, man. That's a great question, and I don't know the answer. And I'm not trying to evade it. I don't know the answer. No, I mean, it, it may not be – I mean, unless you're in their head. Yeah. Know, it's, it's very difficult to who compares to the, who, who's the who's the young guy right now that has that chip because it's not patrick um no i would it's I obviously mean, not trevor what are you Baker? would you consider russell young yeah but does he have the chip hell yes he has the chip no question he does at by all means in my mind he does okay <laughs> i think russ i i I don't know russ i've been around him a little bit i hosted a charity event for him for a couple of years but i don't oh, know him at all yeah um it's baker like you said it's baker it's baker oh bake yeah bake definitely has a chip which is kind of stupid he's the number one overall pick but he'll keep that chip bro but he's baked dude (laughs) these guys love that chip man they love it and by the way that's what's fascinating to bring it full circle about trevor the dude said publicly and i got no problem with it i don't have a chip on my shoulder and i don't want to manufacture one that's a beautiful thing man like living free that's living free. And it's not. And, and you know what? The worst thing in the world is a manufactured chip. When we talk about Brady and Rogers, you get it. You get it. People told you that there are 198 people in this draft that are better than you. Yeah. Right. I get it. But Trevor's like, what am I going to do? Manufacture it. I'm number one. You know, like how many quarterbacks uh, went before uh, Rogers? Let's see. Alex Smith went number one overall. Uh. He was his second quarterback taken. He was? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That's surprising that another quarterback didn't go to 24. Things have really changed in that regard, huh? No question. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, he that, that was the year Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, Cadillac Williams. Three running backs went in the top Lots five. Lots of running backs. Yeah, that was a short-lived era. But yeah, that uh, didn't last very long. Those no. guys take a beating. Yeah, man, no doubt. But, um, uh, yeah. All right, a couple more, and we'll let you run. I want you to go have a life. Yeah, uh, I'm good. And I really appreciate your time. Back no to Rodgers. What's going to happen there in your mind? I got to think he's gone after this year. I think he likes the idea of a new challenge, sort of like, like what Brady was going through. What Brady and Rodgers 
are uh, what Brady went through. It's similar. Brady just kept all all that inside. He didn't talk about it publicly. I mean, that was going on. I can tell. I had conversations for two years before he was gone, but he recognized and accepted. And I respect this, by the way, that he had a contract that he had to fulfill and he had to finish out that contract. There's interesting things about Brady that like will eventually come out that will make people respect him even more. Things that he did that we don't know about because he just didn't want people to know that I would love for people to know about me. And that's one of them, you know, that he, he wanted out, man. I, he was, he wanted out. Um, you know, maybe Rogers strategically was smart to do what he did because he kind of got a year off of it and maybe wiggled his way out sooner than he would have, but he had to make a public spectacle in order to do so. And, what about uh, that press conference? It was unbelievable. unbelievable. I mean, he, he lit the organization on fire. And then think about, think about like the, I was thinking about like the social media team, like the Packers social media team. <laughs> like, hey, let's, hey, can we go flip that video and throw it onto our, our team, like Twitter account? <laughs> where Aaron Rodgers just eviscerates. Yeah, we're like, going to skip that part. <laughs> you can't, you couldn't. It was the whole It was thing. the whole press conference, yeah. It was. I mean, it I expected was. that too. His press conferences are so good that no one realizes this. Aaron Rodgers, man, after post game, um anytime he plays, dude, it, it, I never, you know how it is. Like you don't want to go to a press conference. Yeah, like that. For sure. Uh Aaron Rodgers is the one that I always want to go to because that dude stands behind that podium, win or loss tells you exactly why they won or exactly why they lost in the most honest and candid way. So that didn't surprise me that he came out and said the things that he said. Uh, it, but it also very revealing. Like, I just don't think that he's going to, he's going to want a new challenge, whether that's jeopardy or playing for another team. I think he's just kind of done with the Packers. All right. Last thing. Uh, did, to what degree did you expect you spin in a pizza box or whatever the hell you first thing oh, you yeah. spun was to become I mean, I just, this phenomenon. How did anything. how did you develop this talent? Here's this pillow right here. Was, so you can't, I guess it's a podcast, guy. so you can't. I'm spinning a pillow, but like uh, I was actually me and my buddy Doug Bedore in high school. We used to spin our textbooks, and uh, and uh, all the time we just sit there spinning our textbook, and we just uh, comp- compete. And then we started spinning other things. We didn't do in class like I, I was a terrible <laughs> student and uh I, I remember when i got to college i'd still spin my textbooks and i'd sit in a lecture hall and i'd be spinning it and inevitably every time like the three times i actually went to class every time uh you'd hear like behind me after i'd stop like 20 seconds later you'd hear textbooks hitting the ground <laughs> people, people try it 100 <laughs> man but uh yeah i would say uh i mean and then it, it actually the funny thing is marty is like I just started doing it on Twitter recently, but like I've been doing that my whole life. It's just that I usually do it when it's my friends know me, know it as like a, a drunk trick. Like I do it. It's like one of the things I do, like I'll start taking pictures off walls and spinning them in people's houses and stuff, you know, taking dishes out and spinning them. It was always a drunk trick that I'd pull out, but how did it end up on TV? I just, I, I was, uh, I was Was during COVID and you were just bored. No, I was sitting there one more. I was on, on my uh, on my porch one morning, and I just had a something in my hand. And I was spinning it, a pillow, and I'm like, man, I don't think anybody knows I can do this. I don't know why I decided that moment to put it on Twitter. I mean, something I've been doing 20 years, and I did, and and someone's like, you can spin things. I'm like, yeah, I can spin this too. And then I spun my suitcase, and then Greeny took it on TV, and now uh, that's the rest is history. It was definitely the coolest thing that's happened on TV <laughs> in 2021 until. <laughs> 
until I won that damn cornhole tournament. That was dope, dude. And <laughs> drinking beer on TV. Shotgun I don't think, cold one. I don't think people realize how difficult it is to put yourself in a situation where it is okay to shotgun a beer on TV. I just thought, so we got to the cornhole tournament and I've never in my life played cornhole without a cold beer ever. Right. So I look at the organizer guy, this guy, Stacy, and I showed up with a star. I mean, we dude, it was nine to 11 Eastern PM live. I'm like, I'm an old man, dude. I got gray hair. That's past my bedtime. (laughs) So I look at this Stacy cat. I'm like, hey, man, uh, can I hold a Starbucks cup on TV? He was like, no, nah, why? I said, because I got to have – y'all won't let me you drink cold beer on TV. I know proper, it. Proper weight distribution, yes. you know. Yes, there has to be the yeah. fulcrum. Understood. My, dad always, Understood. my dad was a lot smarter than me. He used to talk about fulcrums and shit. I don't even know what that means. But anyway, I was like, I got to – I said, I've never played cornhole without a cold beer. And he looks at me and he goes, what the hell you think that is? Dude – they had five coolers lined up with like ultra Bud Light, Miller Light, you know, they were like ready. local Charlotte beers. I was like, hell yeah. I'm like, and did, you, did you this on TV? Did you have to get, did you have to check with ESPN or anything? Did they I care? didn't. I just, I didn't ask. Just I just did it. did it. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you, what were you drinking? I was drinking. Uh, well, it was a, there was a progression. A local. I started with a couple of locals, which are that there's Catawba Brewing over here, uh, out here in North Carolina, which I love. There's D9, which I love. And so I had a couple of theirs to start. And then I'm like, man, I'm starting to get tuned up pretty good. <laughs> I might need to just switch over here to the Ultra for a minute. So I did. And Ryan Smith and I closed the deal. I mean, I, won the damn tournament. You, well, so you fun. know what? Uh, that was awesome. I tried one time, uh, when Josh Allen got drafted, I, I love I had, that boy. uh, yeah, he's great. I, I, I had, um, I had a bunch of Buffalo beers. Uh, the guy that was the PR guy at the time, he used to be with the, with the, uh, Eagles and, uh, and I'd go do the draft covering the Eagles and I'd make them stock the fridge with beers. I was like, dude, this, this place is like a dorm. <laughs> like the only thing we're missing is beers. The next day I come in, he's got it stocked with beers. So every time I'd cover a draft where he was at, he's stocked with fridge with beers that's amazing so in buffalo he had a stock of beers and i was like man we got to get josh allen to drink some buffalo beer bill's mafia would love that if i got him drinking beers the first day he gets here and uh i had him ready i had him underneath my chair and someone goes hey dude josh isn't 21 (laughs) (laughs) we are so old oh my god we're so old so i got i got that squash but that was my only shot at trying to have you ever heard josh allen do tiger woods no Really? Next time you interview him, next time you're doing a Buffalo game. Really? Trust me on this. Oh, wow. His Tiger Woods is impeccable. It's have you have you ever gotten him to do that? Like, yeah, I do the Masters podcast. So I host the Masters official podcast. And every year Darnold and Allen show up. We drink a bunch of beers. Uh And at the like one time we were doing, I was interviewing both those guys for the Masters podcast. And Josh just out of nowhere starts going into this Tiger Woods thing. Oh my and gosh. His cadence is it's oh, perfection. Like the way just trust me. Get him to do his Tiger that's Woods. That's so unexpected. And now Everybody's he's a hundred and fifty million dollar man. I know. I so love that. The, he's buying the beers. Yeah, that's awesome. He's a good dude, man. A great dude. You're yeah. a great dude. Appreciate well, your time I'm, I'm and insight, me- brother. Medi- me- and mediocre at best, but appreciate it. I that. Uh, I can't wait till you and Mir slamming some beers together exactly no doubt brother have an awesome day and uh 
go go pound a couple cold ones now. What <laughs> well, else are you a, doing today? It's only 139 and we're good. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> All right, see ya. Jeff is so right. Like, first of all, how fun to just jump into his mind and what he lives every day. I don't live the NFL. I'm a fan. Like, I have all these questions just like you guys do sitting at the end of the bar. I, I mean, you don't even really – you really don't even have a team, Marty. You're more of a – you root yeah, for no. the players that you covered kind of fan. Yeah, you want to see the Panthers do well just because you're in Charlotte, but you're I especially want to see the, the Panthers do well now. Like, I've always wanted to see the Panthers do well because uh, of Cam Newton, who I admire a ton and, and got to know when he was here in Charlotte a little bit. And now Sam Darnold's our quarterback. I mean, that's one of our dudes. We love Sam. We like Sam is is one of our guys. I interviewed Sam when he was at USC, and uh, for Marty Smith's America, the TV program back in the day, made a little stopover in uh, in LA on our way to Beijing, China, to interview Cristiano Ronaldo. Spent a day in LA with Sam Darnold. He's a phenomenal kid, and I believe. I should have asked this. I, I, I dropped the ball. I should have asked Darlington this. I think Sam Darnold and Joe Brady are going to be dynamite together. I hope. That's what I hope for Charlotte. But you're so right, Travis. Like, I cheer for the guys that I cover covered in college and got to know really well. That's what I watch in the NFL. I don't do fantasy sports at all, but if I did – it would be my mission to fill up my entire rosters with guys from Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State that I covered, or in Michigan that I covered. No, no so you don't need the, you don't need those players. Yeah, well, sorry, Travis. I would. Uh, I, I can't wait to see how Joe Milton does in Knoxville. By the way, that dude's got a cannon. I mean, can't wait to see what Josh Heupel does with him. Think about this, Marty. We it's officially game week there's only it's week zero and there's only a few games but we got college football in less than a week isn't it awesome i mean i i'm so excited and week one's going to be off the hook which there's some things i want to talk about after you guys hear from these coaches coming up that i'm going to be doing when we get to atlanta for week one sec nation will be uh in atlanta for the alabama miami game down there the chick-fil-a kickoff can't wait to get to Atlanta. I got a couple of events I'm going to do that I want y'all to know about, but we'll get to that after you guys hear from Kirby Smart from Georgia and Dan Mullen from Florida on Marty and McGee talking season on the Southeastern Conference Network and now here on Marty Smith's America. First thing I got to know is the legend Claude Felton walks in here and he's carrying a little lunch bag and all it says on it is Kirby snacks written in like a Sharpie. Yeah, what's up with that? What's in there? The, the, our nutritionist, which we got the best in the world, Collier Perno, yeah. she sent every one of us with a snack bag. Really? And I'm like, Claude, I don't need that stuff. And he's like, well, I'll carry it around. I was like, okay. But see, Jordan Davis? Jordan Davis needs a snack, snack bag. Suitcase? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, does, he, he has more than a snack. You know what I mean? <laughs> he has multiple snacks. Jordan and Collier have gotten a, a really interesting relationship there, getting close at 350. He has to, he has to spend a lot of time with our nutritionist. That's a lot of calories. What, Making she, sure he stays in the threshold. Yeah, that's right. She don't want you hitting the vending machine. That's right. She wants you eating whatever's in the bag. She gets on me because she says his body fat says he has to be a certain weight. And I'm like, because his body fat's actually low for his position. 
And she's like, he's where he needs to be. And I keep screaming and yelling, saying I need him 335. And she says, nope, he can be 345. And I'm like, well, you're not out there coaching him. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting with a nutritionist. So when you were dreaming about being head football coach at Georgia, did you think that you'd be having conversations about uh, nutrition and what they had to have and what the weight was? Because we're all the same age. I just remember if you weighed more than 300 pounds, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. And now they all do. I yeah. looked down the list and I'm like, golly, they're all there. Yeah. You know, I, I thought when I was head coach, I'd be coaching football, not dealing with name, image, likeness, and portal and everything else in the world. COVID, who would have thought? Yeah. Jump in there. Jump in what's, there. What's it like? What's it like managing NIL? What do you think's coming with that? It's going to be interesting because I think that there's going to be a greater divide between the top and the bottom. And the top's going to get further away from the middle. You mean being able to get good players? Is that yeah. what you, okay. I think that the, the best teams with the best opportunities, kids are going to gravitate towards. I mean, look at it this way. The SEC is already, you know, putting more players out in the NFL. They're, they're, kids gravitate to the SEC. More West Coast kids have left the West Coast than ever before. So is NLI going to change that, reverse that, or just keep the separation moving faster? And I think Nick said it, and a lot of people have said it, the transfer portal, what's happening is team, kids want to go play for the best. They want to go play at the top. They want to go play in the big games. So these opportunities are creating a bigger divide between the haves and have-nots. Well, certainly that's the case with you guys. you got dudes showing up. Why? Well, I What think are they saying about why they want to play An opportunity. I mean, here's a program that's been in the top seven four straight years. Nobody else in the SEC can say that, but finished in the top seven four straight years. So they know that there's an opportunity there. They got a chance to come in and play at a high level. We've got a lot of NFL players. We're graduating our players. Georgia plays at a high level. So it's an attractive deal, especially if you're a defensive back and you just saw four get drafted, one's free agent, two went in the portal. That's seven that we don't have. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to play is what kids want. But you talk about all the stuff you have to deal with that isn't about X's and O's, right. that isn't about the chalkboards a lot. But but how different is your approach now after when you first stepped into this job? Ooh. I used to micromanage and really worry about everything because I thought I could control everything yeah. to the point now where you hire good people, let them do their job, delegate their job, and encourage them and oversee and do the things that I do strong. Like I, I feel like I know defensive back play. I know defensive scheme. I know special teams. Those are the areas I want to kind of inflect my knowledge on. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I want to run a good program. I want our staff to enjoy being there. I want to win football games. I love the University of Georgia. So when I get to go talk and talk about it, it's, it's home to me. It's, mm-hmm. it's what I love. So that's not something I have to artificially sell. You took a team to the national championship game. What changed that made you realize that you had to alter your approach and not micromanage? Well, I, I would say this. The experience, you would burn out if you kept going at that pace. You know, I mean, it's one of those deals where there's only so many things you can control, and you want to have good people in place. You put your procedures in place to take care of issues and problems. And to be honest, I can't even anticipate what's next. I mean, between name, image, likeness, transfer portal, the Austin case, all the different things going on in college football, COVID hitting. I mean, we, we just don't know vaccinations. That, that's been all we've talked about for, for the last three months is trying to really educate our players and grow those guys. So it's not being a coach right now. It's managing. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that? I mean, do, do you have to set aside, all right, 
these four hours I'm watching film. I mean, how, how, do, how do you work football in all that? Well, I, I let my coaches work football in. I still like to be a part of it, and I, I, I want our coaches to be innovators. I want them to be creative. They meet with other staffs. They visit with NFL staffs. They watch what the best teams are doing. Like the team that gets the most sacks or the most explosive passes over 15 yards, we're going to watch those teams and try to figure out if we can take something they're doing. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily my role. Mm -hmm. You know, my role is to oversee what kids are doing in recruiting and, and, and top-down management. But I want to empower those guys that they embrace being there. Dan Lanning's got a great personality and a great future. I want him to feel that. Coach Munkin's been a head coach. He's been successful. I want him to feel comfortable. One of the things that you have to manage is Lane Kiffin's Twitter account. <laughs> How do you react? Wait, why, why would I manage that? <laughs> because you're on it all the time. <laughs> How do you react when he posts the great Father's Day post with Saban on, on Father's Day? Well, I'll give, I'll give Lane this. He didn't post that uh, unwarranted. I mean, we have a, a, a legendary side thread that goes on between Lane and I, so he sent that on the side thread long before he posted it on Twitter. So I know he does it for reaction and for entertainment. We spent several years together there at, uh, at Alabama, and that's, that's another one of his ways of taking a shot back at me because, you know, he used to get whoopings when we were there. I didn't get, <laughs> I, I didn't get the same whippings he got. So uh, he's, getting his, he's trying to get his, his jabs back. Expound upon that, though. The camaraderie between all you guys that came up in that tree. <laughs> what is that camaraderie? It's pretty cool. I mean, I've got Muschamp on my staff now, yep. and uh, Jimbo, of course, was there. I was just talking to Jacob Hester about the staff in 04 at LSU. It was incredible. Ridiculous. You know, uh, all these coaches that were there together at the same time, and uh, and we learned a lot. You know, you learned a lot from Nick, and uh, he, he, was a, he was a good developer of coaches, very similar to the way he develops players. And I don't think people give him enough credit for that because he takes guys and, and, and you know, he, 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 when he talks to the group, he's trying to get everybody better. He's not just trying to educate himself. He's not keeping secrets. And uh, we all kind of grew up with him. And some guys went there for reform and some guys went there for growth and to each his own. Well, but Coaching think, rehab down I think there in T-Town. Yeah, but it's hard, I think, for – and this is, this is nothing new. I mean, you know, Suge Jordan and Bear Bryant got along. Yeah. You know, but I think it's hard for people to understand that, you know, I don't even talk to my family members because they went to so-and-so at school. But, you so know, different. you text them with Lane. All the time. With, with a lot of the guys. Yeah. Because we, we share a lot of the same stressors, yeah. the, same, the, the same issues and problems. So to talk to somebody about that, it's not a secret. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's no secrets out there. It's, it's how can we do it better? How can we get more guys vaccinated? And, and you, you cut up with each other because we have a lot of the same uh, problems and dilemmas with our players. So with Lane, it's always, uh, it's always entertaining. You never know what you're going to get. You mentioned vaccinations a couple times. So I, I was in Omaha. And, and I was I was there when NC State, you know, uh, got pulled off the field, and and, yeah. and I've talked to ads and coaches about what I call the NC State effect. Yeah, that was pretty raw. I mean, <laughs> it had happened in other championships, but this is in almost July. Right. How much does that moment factor into, or, or just all of these stories factor into your approach to you know, all these teams' approach and the conferences' approach to vaccinations this fall? Wouldn't you think? when they pulled NC State off the field, that every SEC football team would have gone from 50% to 100%. Yeah. But it didn't have that. It didn't Why? happen that way. Yeah. Because the people that are not getting vaccinated, that's not moving the needle for them. They don't see it that way. Yeah. They don't see it that way. So it's, it's, it's a belief, whether it be political or not political, 
or it be something from their home. I've run into a little bit of everything. What we've tried to do is arm them with education. Yep. Ron Corson's staff has been incredible. I can't tell you how many kids have said, well, well, I had, the, I had, I had COVID, so I've already got antibodies. I don't need to get it. You have to debunk all the myths that are out there. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to overcome. Mm -hmm. And in a country that is probably more divided than it needs to be, mm -hmm. it becomes a political issue, and it shouldn't be. Yep. It should be what's right for the country. Mm -hmm. well, if, you, if vaccinating it makes you better, it gives you a better opportunity for success, then you should do it. It's a competitive advantage for a football team. Yeah. So selfishly, yeah. you're dang right I want my team vaccinated because yeah. I don't want to have the, that, that bump in the road. Yeah. But the NC State needle didn't move it like you thought it would. It might have in other sports, yeah. but it didn't work that way in football. We, yeah. we had to keep pushing through. Well, and the policy is the policy. I mean, That's right. Texas showed up to Omaha vaccinated. They got tested once. To me, it's just a uh, less of a hassle. Right. Yeah. You would think. That's yeah. The NFL teams, they, they have to go in and test every day. Well, if you're vaccinated, you don't. That's the reward. Yeah. You don't have to test every day. Yeah. You know, and we're hoping that, that more of our guys will. We're at a really good spot, but I don't – I don't want to rest and relax and say, well, here we are, because that one in that in that in the eighty six percent, the last fourteen percent that aren't, th that might be the one that costs you a big game. Yeah. What comes and and I know you've probably discussed this before, but every single year when we're here, when you guys take the field in September, there is an expectation of Georgia football, mm -hmm. and that is because of the talent you have. It's because of the tradition that you have, all of those things, right, that make the SEC great and your institution great. What is the weight when you come here and every one of us is saying George is the team to beat? What is that weight? Well, it's not a great weight because if you didn't say that, I wouldn't be the head coach at Georgia. Yeah. I'm just going to be honest with you. If the expectation wasn't that we were going to win the East and we were going to play for the SEC championship and win the SEC and get in the Final Four, I wouldn't be the head coach here. You know what I mean? That just wouldn't be the case. So I don't look at it as a burden. I look at it as, well, I'm doing something right. You know what I mean? We're recruiting well. We're graduating our players. We're top seven four years in a row. We're doing something right, okay? Now, we got to get better at it because we got to get to where the, the rubber meets the road and where the end game is, is playing late in January, not early in January. You know, but we know that there's some luck involved in that. There's some hurdles involved in that, and we're working constantly towards that because that's the end game. That's the end goal. Well, for you personally, Georgia guy. Yeah. I mean, played at Georgia. Yeah. Um, you know, grew up looking at those 1980 National Championship bumper stickers on every pickup truck in the state. You know, just for you personally, when that moment comes, what do you think it's going to be like? It'll be special. It'll be special. And it's coming. It's a matter of time for our players. And I'll, I, will, I will feel uh, a lot of uh, warmth towards all the players that have played before. You know, going back to when I played, going to Coach Rick's years, you know, it's a lot of people that have been really close and hadn't quite pulled that out. But if you keep knocking at the door, eventually it comes open. You know, you need at bats to hit home runs. <laughs> so you got to keep having at bats and make the most of it. And that's what I'm looking forward to. It won't be about me. It won't be about anything. It'll be all about the Georgia people who have been financially faithful, who have been loyal, and have been through a lot. And they're looking forward to that opportunity when it comes. You noted Coach Rick, and he's yep. going through it right now. Yep. He, he announced recently that he's battling Parkinson's. How do you define his impact on that program and, and yeah. his impact on you? Coach Rick took the Georgia program and uh, took it to another level. Uh, I wasn't there, I just left, but I got to come back for a year. People forget that. I worked under Mark Rick, and I worked under him one year after working under Nick Saban. And the two probably couldn't be more polar opposites, but they're both great men, they're both great leaders. Mark Rick has impacted more of his players than any coach I've ever been around in terms of the respect. When you go around the, the country and you talk to people that played for him, 
whether it's Florida State or Georgia, they love that man. And he changed their life for the better. Not because they were first-round picks, because they were better people. And I have admiration for that. I want to achieve that same thing. So you know, he and Catherine are close to our family, and uh, we send out our heartfelt prayers to him and his battle with Parkinson's. Thank you for sharing that, Coach. All right, Coach. Thank you all. You're the man. Appreciate well, y'all. I didn't know if we'd ever get to see you like this again. Yeah. I'm so thrilled that we're back. I know you are too. Uh, this, I heard a bunch of exciteds during your media is, address. You know what? I, it, it is so great to kind of be normal, yep. you know. And now, I mean, it, how blessed yeah. are we? What our my, my normal's running out in the swamp in front of ninety thousand people right. in college football. <laughs> getting my normal's getting to hang out with you guys on this set. I've never been invited to do one of your crazy commercials, but uh, put it on the board. We got another board. one, <laughs> 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 right? But the uh, no, I mean we're so and it's so great to kind of have some 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 normalcy back and and can't wait to. To, to get that that experience, that adrenaline rush is unbelievable of college football being on that field with the fans. Before we look forward, let's just peek back a minute. We were just talking to Zachary Carter yep. about standing on the field at the SEC championship game and watching the celebration unfold for your opponent. Yep. What did that do for your team to get there and be right there? Well, I think, you know, obviously the, the excitement to get there, our guys went there, you know, and then the the disappointment of, you know, falling that, that really, you know, that one possession short. I would love one more possession mm -hmm. in that game for the, our <laughs> offense to see if we could have gone, gone and put it away. Uh, but the, uh, you know, in that game, such a great back and forth, two great teams for our guys playing it. I, I think it kind of was, was the hunger not just to get back there, but that hunger and that drive to get there and win it and to be the one standing there and enjoying that confetti falling on your head. And they want to experience that. How do you process that? And we asked them that question, which is, you know, do you sit there during the off season going, man, if I could have these three games back or if I could have that one drive back or is it all forward? How do you burn that for fuel? Well, I just think it. I mean, I, I you kind of, I'm, I'm a kind of a matter of fact person. So I'm looking at it. I can tell you like, okay, we needed to do this, 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 this. Maybe the outcome would have been differently uh, of the game. But, you know, then maybe these other things could have happened that would have changed it a different way as well. So uh, I, I think you're looking at it and saying, okay, how do we find a way to get better? How do we find a way to get back there and improve? Uh, how do you continue to grow and develop? You know, we talk to our guys all the time. I say, you know, you tell me, if, if you can tell me the 10 plays that are going to de determine our season, let me know now. <laughs> and we'll be ready for those 10. <laughs> That's a great thing in football. You don't know when they are, so you got to be prepared for every moment. So the, the love is in the preparation, the, the growth, the development, the preparation, so that when you hit that moment, you're ready for that play. Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Toney, Kyle Pitts, Kyle Trask. That is a lot of firepower you sent to the league, sir. As you look at that and you want to reload and reassess and reprogram, how do you replace that? Well, I think you just – the funny one is if we were here last year, we had four – the year before. Right. Correct. You would have said, right. oh, Van Jefferson. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Correct. I yeah. mean, all, all the four wideouts. Yeah. Freddie Swain, right, yeah. going to the NFL. Correct. You know, Tyree Cleveland uh, and Josh Hammond. How do you replace these four senior wideouts going to the NFL? We were able to do that. You did. Um, you know, I think, I think you look at the guys and how we've done it. We play a lot of players, and, and we do it on purpose. One, it keeps our guys healthy during the course of the year, keeps them fresh during the course of a game, 
and it builds up depth within the roster. So that guys coming onto the field this year are not inexperienced rookies. Emory Jones coming out onto the field this year has played in big games at big moments throughout his career. If you look at his stat line, it's not going to be like, okay, this guy hasn't played. His stat line is going to be probably one of the better stat lines at quarterback coming back in the SEC this year. Uh, you know, and, and you look at some of the receivers. Okay, there's guys with catches. The whole running backs are back. I could put our two, two if I take uh, Keon Zipper or Kamori Gamble's numbers and combine them last season, they might be second to Kyle Pitts mm-hmm. in the SEC. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some guys coming back just because of how we run the program uh, that are experienced. Now, are they the numbers of the guys put up before? No. Do we expect them to be those guys? No. We're a completely different team, different players. But now there's going to be a lot of guys that are excited to get some of those stats in their category. But is the quarterback guy, the quarterback guru, we always label you, right? Because we're writers. That's what we do. Uh, I appreciate he, that. But, 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 but yes. <laughs> Name, life. image, and likeness. I'm going to profit <laughs> off that. Right but, but, but I'm going to trademark the but, guru. But you want to have the – the third, third, fourth, fifth year guy behind center, but is there a part of you as someone who loves to coach quarterbacks and mold quarterbacks that loves? All right, we're we're here. Here we go. We we got some new clay to mold. Absolutely, but you're also looking and saying, okay, I, I, I'm someone, and in, in, you know, one of the great secrets to being a, a right a, a quarterback molder is don't take a square peg and try to pound it into a round hole. Yeah. Right. And but people do it. This is our offense. This is the only offense yeah. we run. You have to fit our offense. You know, we use about 60 to 75% of our offense in a given season, and we're going to build around the strengths of the guys that we have and put them in a position to be successful to do what they do well. And that's what we've always been able to do. And, and you know, I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, well, you know, Emory's more dual threat, traditional type guy for me. I don't, I can go back and I've, I've had some guys that are pretty untraditional, I guess, if, if that was it, if, that we just throw it all. We threw it every play. Well, there's times we've led the country in passing. Time with lead, lead in rushing. You know, it's it's. What do the guys do well and build around their strengths? Let me follow up there. We all know, like like Emory's role in a lot of cases uh, in subbing for Trask and whatnot was in running situations where he could use his athleticism, RPOs, that type of thing. How proficient is he at pushing the ball down the field? Well, that's what's going to be interesting because when you go back and you look at him being recruited, he was not a dual threat quarterback coming out of high school. Was he a slant? Was Pocket he a passer? Yeah. Okay. Like if you go back, I mean, I don't, I don't do the ratings or pay much attention to the ratings, but I look and he's under PP, which I think is pocket passer. Right. And DT, like quarterback PP or DT or whatever they break him down. Interesting. And you know, so he's got a stronger arm probably than 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 Kyle Trask. I mean, he can he can he can wing it. Uh, you know, and his is going to be now the the working on the act. You know, and get on him. Can I know you can make spectacular plays? Can you make a lot consistently? Right, make that four foot putt. <laughs> right, you know what I mean. Can can you check it down? Put the ball where it needs to be. Hey, third and four, boom, check it down. First and ten, I call a shot play. Ah, checked it down a second and six. What impact will it have on him? Do you think that he's the presumptive every down guy? I know, I know you have a quarterback battle right now. I know you yeah. said it earlier, but presumptive every down guy. What's the impact emotionally and mentally on that? Well, I think it's huge for him. I think there's, you know, one, there's responsibility that comes with that, that he's, but he's prepared for. But you're talking, it's not he's a first or second year player. Right. He's been in the program. He's seen other guys go through it. He's played. He's had to, you know, every season he's been here, he's had to roll out and not a package series. We rolled out. I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we're, we're playing Auburn and Trask goes down. 
He leads us to two scoring drives. You know, I mean, he, he's ready for the big moments in games and not just I'm going to run you in there a package. We're going to put you in there and let you go with it. And so he has that experience. But I think now I think it's that maybe that excitement, but that understanding of the responsibility that comes with being the every down guy. There, there, there's, it's, there's, a, there's a huge responsibility within the leadership of the team to be that guy. He mentioned Mr. Carter, the new number six. Yep. Um, is listen, that what he is? I like the hardest one for me. Everybody, I mean, you're, the, the <laughs> number one. <laughs> I look at our players, I'm like, I'm glad everything's going well because the only issue I get messages this summer are can I change to this number? I'm like, we have no problems on our team except for Jersey. Now. <laughs> and then I go out on the field and go to practice. I have no idea who's who because yeah. they're always changing. So you're, you're, you're a named uh, tape on the, on the helmet guy? Got to be. No, I mean, I don't even do that. I mean, I'm watching film. I'm like, who is that? And there's somebody who knows who it is in the room. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we bring up the big man on defense, though. And listen, you want the best for your players. You want them to, to pick the future that I think is right for them. But the feeling that you had when you realized he's going to be coming back this year because he's, he's the anchor on that, on that but, side of that line. I, you know what? Uh, I, was, I was happy for him. I was happy for our program. Great, you know, great leader, great guy to have come back for the program. But happy for him because I think it was it was a smart decision on his part. You know, I think, you know, we talk about it of, of you know, are, are you talented enough? Are you ready? There's a lot that goes into going on and being a professional at the next level. And I, I think one of the worst things and decisions that guys make is they don't look at the big picture of it, right? Is am I good enough? Maybe. Am I ready? Maybe not. Am I ready? Yes. Am I good enough? No, I need a little bit more development. Mm-hmm. There, there's a mature decision that goes into it because – that, that is a huge step. And, and the shame of it is most guys think that's just the next step, right? Hey, I was a great Papa Warner player. I started in high school. I went to Florida. I'm just going to the NFL. It's not quite that simple. And so you love when guys make educated, good decisions. And, and I think he did. And I, I think it'll, it'll pay off for him huge in the end. And it'll be great for our team this year. I was at the Swamp with you and your group when you hosted South Carolina yep. last fall. It was the weirdest environment I've ever been in, to be in that stadium with nobody but us. For some on, people. I mean, it was very sparse. Yeah, it was, it was early. Like, like mm-hmm. 12,000 We built maybe? up as the yeah. year went yeah, on yeah, a yeah, little yeah. bit, but it, was, it, was, but it yeah. felt very empty. Yeah. Hearing you guys yelling, players talking trash, the whole thing. What is the void when, that's your, home, when your home environment is normally completely unglued Saturday night, and then you have, you have to manage – what is like a spring game? Yeah, it was different. I think the competitive aspect went with it. I think there were, you know, I mean, I mean, it was easy. You could communicate to players, you know, you, hey, do this, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, hey, do this. I don't know, like silent counts, none of that. But it, 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 was, it was an eerie environment at different times during the year. And... Uh, Kind of awkward and, and different. I, I, last year was uh, an, as emotionally exhausting year as you've ever gone through in your life. Wow. One, you don't, you know, every week are we playing? Are we not playing? Right. Who's playing? Right. Friday night, you find out who's playing in the game on a Saturday. If we're even going to play, you show up to a stadium, and we, we played one game. It's just empty and music blaring on the field. And, it, 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 you know, I mean, I, well, they had like 300 people show up. Like it was your, your family was allowed in. Yeah. Uh, it, even in the swamp, you're in these kind of empty stadiums. And it, 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 just, it, and it just wore on you, just the unknowns. We got halfway through our season. We had to shut down. 
are we done? Who's going to play? Who's not going to play? Do we want to play? What's, it, it just was emotionally draining. Uh, I think at the end of the year, I mean, everybody, I think people didn't end the year, didn't end the way we wanted it to. But I think everybody was thankful when it ended, as crazy as that sounds. No it was question. Like, oh. And I think the energy and the excitement and the appreciation now of coming out against FAU on that, that, that Saturday of Labor Day weekend. I, I, I wish I could tell you the date. It's, what is that, like the uh, fifth? Yeah, it's a single digit September day. Yeah, fourth. Fourth. It's the fourth, right? And you come out September 4th, and there's, you know, the swamps, 90,000 people. It's going to be unglued, Going crazy and the energy in that first kickoff game. And, and, you know, on a Saturday night in the swamp, you're like, ah. And that that feeling, I think you're going to appreciate it like never before. Is there going to be a bond, though, with that team? Like, you've been on these championship teams that will always be connected. But that, these 2020 teams that endured all that together, I feel like 20 years from now you'll be like, man, we did that. I think there, there's a part to it. I think it was hard because I think there was a lot of individualism at times because you had to, you know, there's so much, usually a team, you go through a lot together. Last year was about going through everything apart. How can we, how do we stay apart from each other as much as possible? How do we not go in the locker room? So counterintuitive. Yeah. How, 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 do, how do we separate you? How do we keep you, you go into a meeting room and keep everybody as far apart from each other? How do you have a mask on so you can't even see somebody's facial expressions? Uh, I, that, that, it's everything that's not football. Right. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it, football is the ultimate, ultimate team game. Yeah. You know, and uh, everybody has a role. I mean, you're talking about a team where you're playing 70 guys in a game and every one of them has a critical role in that game. You know, if they don't do their job, that, you know, even that you might not win the game. And it is in the bonding and everything, you know. And then you go through this entire offseason, all this work you put in for 12 Saturdays, right? I mean, basketball's not like that. Baseball's not like that. I mean, maybe the Olympics are that way. You're going through all of this for an opportunity in four, every four years, right? It is that way. But you, we have 12 opportunities to play. That's it. Um, and you put so much into it. And then and it's such a team feeling, and now you've pulled that apart. And, hey, let's stay apart from each other as much as possible and not bond. It really was hard. But, but then aside from just your team, how important, though, was it for – Gainesville, for the state, for the fans, just, just college football fans that, that you had to endure everything you had to endure to play those Saturdays? I, I, think, I think probably great for people that had their life turn, you know, that not be normal, that every Saturday you could turn on a football game at home and have some sense of normalcy, right? You know, I mean, it, 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 it led to, okay, I have, I have a release that I can go back to normal. You know, at the time when we kicked off, because a lot of sports hadn't played, we're one of the four first to get back out there and get going again. And there's like a, okay, hey, this is the first normal thing that's happened in my life in four or five months when we kicked it off. I think it was, it, it, it was great to do. Um, I certainly I don't need to ever do it again. <laughs> no, none of us do. Yeah, I was there too. Yeah. I had you guys against Ole Miss. That was your season opener in the first in game, Oxford. and it was it was wild, man. It, it was it was a so different. Just was, just like that was a fun game, though. It was a great game. Up and down, a lot of, a lot of points scored. 
You used the word appreciation a minute ago, and I do believe all of us have new perspective on just the blessing of gathering, being together, being in that same energy. Now that it's behind you and there is going to be something close to normal, what did you learn about you as man and leader of men uh, in an unprecedented moment? The, it was hard. I think it was hard. I, I, I think I learned. I, I can, you can dump all the adversity you want on me, and we're going to find a way to fight through it as, as a team. right? We're going to find a way to do it, no matter how not normal it is, how much out of our comfort zone we have to get, how much outside of the box you have to get, uh, that you can overcome it. You know? And you're going to find a way. You're going to have the resiliency, uh, hopefully, as a leader to help everybody get through that. Um, you know, I, I I think I did. I mean, it, it, like I said, I mean, it was it was it was draining. I'm still I, I even with vacation and getting back to some normalcy. You know, I, you still have a hangover a little bit about it. I, I think it'll be until you know after this season that you know next January. I, I hope. You know, you pray. I know there's still issues and uh, you know people out there still battling with everything going on. But 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 it, it might be the next January you to finally feel like okay, I feel. Like I'm back to normal again, and I can get through what, what feels regular for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that was that was one of the hardest things. As I said off the top, having the opportunity to take time—I mean, those guys give us 20, 25 minutes, and we laugh together, and we learn, and we fellowship, and both of those guys are in uber high pressure high-profile, overwhelming expectation, win the league, or it ain't good enough jobs. They are – I mean, their jobs are – it's a pressure cooker, and especially there's something weird about that Florida job, which it just – the expectations, it's – it's their fans don't want anything less than a national championship. SEC SEC title at worst. What it is is they're they're now – and I think it's this probably been this way forever – But the programs right now where you're expected to win a national title are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Um, I would put put both of those schools in there. Yeah, I mean, Georgia. Florida's never even made the playoff. I mean, mean, yeah, they haven't made it, but they're right there. You think about Georgia, I mean, two two and 26. I mean, they were – right there oh yeah and 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 look i i remember asking kirby in year one 2018 was year one of marty and mcgee talking season the long-term impact of that loss and it's very real it's now four years later but i know anybody who has any level of competitive nature especially with the expectations we're talking about. The University of Georgia hasn't won a national championship since 1980. That one is hanging over him. I know it is. He won't, probably wouldn't admit it. Maybe he – maybe it – look, I, I don't know how it couldn't be because he had the, he had the boss man beat. Well, here's the other thing. No, is, no former Saban assistant has ever beaten him. Well, and, and also think about it is it 
it hangs over the fans. So then they project onto the program. And so even if it's not affecting Kirby, the players are hearing about it because every radio show, every article written is 1980s. The last time we've won a championship, when are you going to win a championship? And so it's just this cloud that until they do, it's going to be hanging over their, their program. 90, 2010, 20. That was 40 years ago. That is, I mean, and, and look, I got a lot of friends who are Georgia Bulldogs, utterly fanatical. And, you know, you sit there and you think about this first game, September 4th, Charlotte, North Carolina, Duke's Mayo kickoff, the marquee game, like one of the greatest games of the year. First, and I just feel like so. So if Clemson loses that game, they're fine. They can they're 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 fine, right? If Georgia loses that game, I feel like it's a different equation. What it is for Georgia is if they lose that game, they lose their net. So that if they lose again, they're falling. Where yep. we basically believe that Clemson's going to run the table in the ACC. North Carolina might be able to get them, but it's it's just not the gauntlet that Georgia's going to have to go through. I can't wait for that game. Uh, I'll be watching it on DVR on Sunday probably because, again, we're going to – first of all, thanks so much to Coach Smart, Coach Mullen, for taking the time to share with us. Uh, I hope you guys found those interviews as fun and insightful as McGee and I did. We love doing them. It's such a blessing. It's so fulfilling. And I hope we continue to get to do it for years to come. One thing we are going to get to do is Marty and McGee is going on the road. Marty and McGee is going to be 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern time every Saturday from whatever site, whatever Southeastern Conference campus, SEC Nation visits that week. Wow. And we're going to be doing content on campuses on Friday. And I want, like, for those of you guys listening, if you live in greater Atlanta, I am going to do a speech. I'm going to do an event at Sweetwater Brewery's headquarters um, on Friday night, September 3rd. It's going to be 30 bucks. You get in the door for the speech. You get a hard copy of my book, Never Settle, and you get a cold beer or two. I don't know exactly. It's either one beer or two beers. I'm not sure the number just yet, but Patrick Abrahams, my phenomenal field producer, has been working hard on this event. He's uh, got a bunch of friends at Sweetwater, including the executive level, and we've put this event together. And we're so excited to do it. I'm so excited to share the Never Settle message. I'm so excited to get to spend time with my hope is that it's a bunch of Alabama fans and alumni, a bunch of Miami fans and alumni showing up there at Sweetwater to spend time. It's 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. on September 3rd at the Sweetwater Brewing Company. You can go to sweetwaterbrew.com slash events. That's sweetwaterbrew.com 
slash events to get tickets now. Um, okay, I got it here now on the graphic. We've created graphic that I'm going to put out on social media coming up here. Uh, it is $30, a signed hard copy of my book, meet and greet with me where I do the speech and your first beer, 30 bucks. And so I can't wait to get there. I can't wait to spend time with you guys. I hope so many of you come. Uh, again, Sweetwater Brewing Company is the location, and it's going to be a killer, killer event. So y'all come on. We'll have a couple cold beers. We'll talk college football. I'll share a few stories with you guys that were meaningful to me in my path, and then I'll take whatever questions you guys have about your teams. I imagine a lot of Roll Tide and Go Canes questions. Really appreciate Jeff Darlington coming on, sharing his expertise and his insight. Y'all, if you haven't seen his sit down with Trevor, go find it. I'm sure it's going to be all over ESPN, social media platforms, YouTube, and on all of our linear platforms, Sports Center. Uh, so make sure you go find that. It's going to be awesome. Also, please uh, go to SEC Network. Uh, we're going to be putting a lot of content on all the social feeds from these talking season sit down interviews. Go find Talking Season on your DVR. Check it out, especially if you're a Southeastern Conference football fan. If, if your team's in the SEC, you're going to love these interviews. Please go find them. Uh, if you have Direct TV, I know the SEC Network is Channel 611. Go find it. Uh, thank you so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep our community safe. First responders and firemen, you guys are heroes. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the sacrifice that our military members make every single day all around the world so that we can be free. Thank you guys for your service to our country and your sacrifice. This is Marty Smith's America. Really appreciate y'all listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think. Be well, everybody. We appreciate you. This is Marty Smith's America. We'll try better next time. Y'all be good.